It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is the Fox News Rundown Extra. And Lisa Brady. Mixed in with a groundswell of support for parents' rights that erupted during the pandemic is concern about not only what kids are being taught in school, but what they're reading in school. A recent report from PEN America, a nonprofit that describes itself as a free expression group, found that books are being banned at a record pace. More than 2,500 bans during the last school year in 32 states and nearly 140 school districts. They also raise concern about who's bringing the challenges, suggesting a more organized, and perhaps politically driven effort than individual parents. My first guest says her group is focused on the students having age-appropriate, school-appropriate materials. They also have a new pledge they're asking candidates to sign for parents. Tina Deskovich is the co-founder of Moms for Liberty. We also spoke with Deborah Caldwell-Stone, director of the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom. We made some edits for time and thought you might like to hear all of both interviews. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the weekday Fox News Rundown podcast. Thanks for listening. Now here's Tina Deskovich of Moms for Liberty on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Um, I wanted to start out by asking you about the pledge that you're asking um, the group is asking midterm candidates to sign, focusing on parental rights. Why? What we have seen, Tiffany and I are the co-founders of Moms for Liberty, and we served on school boards here in Florida from 2016 to 2020. And what we saw was the erosion of parental rights. And we feel like all of America saw that as COVID unfolded in 2020. Um, And as parental rights have been eroded, the teachers unions have been taking more and more power and and replacing parents and a lot of decision making. So the the balance of power has been very off, off for decades. Um, As you know, teachers unions have raised hundreds of millions of dollars uh, annually, and they put them in elections. And so um, what we know is that they work to get uh, people elected to school boards. And so you literally have in school districts across the country, you have teachers union members negotiating with teachers union members that they work to get elected. And parents have been robbed of their rights to direct the upbringing of their children, especially in the area of education. And so what we're trying to do with the parental rights pledge is to get lawmakers to uh, to pledge that they understand that parents have the fundamental right to direct the upbringing, education, and medical care of their minor children um, to help restore the balance of power. Because we know at Moms for Liberty that once the government is able to put itself in between uh, the relationship of a parent and child and start making those decisions that parents should be making on behalf of their children, um, we really have lost the family. I know that parallel or in conjunction with the debates about parental rights and what's being taught in the classrooms is a focus on what's in school libraries. Did your group join with other groups and and decide to focus on that or was it just organic? 
It's completely organic. So our chapters are, are pretty autonomous on what they want to uh, tackle in their own communities. We have, um, in just two years, we have grown to over 230 chapters in 40 states. And these chapters are focused on their local school districts. They hold monthly chapter meetings and they review their local school district, um, the school board agendas. And we tell them, look at what your district is doing, look what's on the agendas, and you guys decide locally what is concerning to you. The other thing we do ask them to do is to review uh, textbooks. Most school districts, especially here in Florida, have set periods of time when the curriculum is open for the public to view. And I will tell you, when I served on a school board, you couldn't get anyone to show up to review curriculum and review textbooks. And as a school board member, you can't possibly review all the curriculum K through 12 for all, all classes. It's just not possible. You need parents and community input. And so as our chapters are starting to do this, uh, they're finding concerning things, they're finding concerning curriculum, concerning assignments, and they're finding concerning library books in their libraries. And so uh, it's not coordinated from the top down. We don't have um, master lists of concerning curriculum anywhere or concerning books anywhere. Each chapter locally is finding their own problems. What kind of books are you most concerned about? Or is it, or as you say, it's really um, kind of on a case-by-case -case basis with local yeah, districts? It's, it's on a case-by-case case 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 basis, but there is reoccurring themes. Um, you know, a lot is happening now. I don't want to switch topics on you, but um, with comprehensive sex ed, it really does tie into what we're seeing in a lot of the curriculum. And it's the same uh, scenarios that are happening in some of these that are being found in some of these library books. For example, um, gender queer has been very concerning. It's been found on middle school shelves all across the country. That's um, children as young as 11 and 12 years old. And um, the book Gender Queer depicts sexual acts, um, actual graphic drawings of of sexual acts between um, between two individuals and uh, if, if, if someone lays eyes on that, I have shared that with so many people when they when they say, why are you concerned about books in schools? What, what's the problem? All I do is just open. I'm like, turn to any page, you know, and and most parents that I have given that to have been very concerned. What about the argument that there are, you know, marginalized groups of children, for instance, children with you know, gender identity issues who maybe feel as though they need access to this material or adults around them feel like they should have access to certain materials, at least in the school library, if not in the classroom, so that um, it can be, you know, a source of comfort or information for them or that they would be more marginalized if they didn't have access to this. Is there a distinction between what's in the classroom and what maybe could still be available in a school library, bearing in mind, you know, that different ages could be involved, you know, and any distinction between someone who's in high school versus someone who's in elementary school? Yeah, so let's, the point of Moms for Liberty is to make sure parents are involved in these selections, that parents get together as a community um, and review and discuss these types of books and where, where do they want them placed in the school. And I will tell you that um, ex ex sexually explicit material, pornography, and anything of that nature has no place in school. There is no child that needs to identify with pornography or se sexually explicit material. Uh, we, you know, I haven't seen any of our chapters that want to get rid of books that help children um, find characters that they identify with. They are concerned about um, pornography and sexually explicit material in the classrooms and in the library. And, you know, they're not concerned 
about um, books or, or, or things of that nature that are in the public library or even for sale on Amazon or at Barnes and Noble, we are solely focused on the public school library. And, and the reason for that is is parents don't aren't with their children when they're purchasing. They have no ability to be there at the school as they're selecting a book. And so, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of books that are kind of in gray areas. And if I can just speak to that for a minute, uh, you know, there's there's opportunities here for communities to come together and really come up with solutions that protect the parents' right to direct the upbringing of their child here in Brevard County, Florida, where I served when I was on a school board. We had a parent bring forward. Um, a book that he was very concerned about that was found in a middle school uh, and high school library that shared a library. The book was designated for AP students, so college kind of college level students, and yet children had access to it as young as seventh grade. And so as a school district, we decided the book was going to go in a section of the library that was for AP students only or with parental permission. I mean, a lot of these solutions are not complicated and don't need to be such heated debates. Do you think that it would help if some of those types of solutions were standardized in some way, you know, adopted across the country so that there was more of a process involved? Because I know another criticism of the criticism has been that, you know, some books are ending up on banned lists before anyone has actually read them. I'm a pretty strong proponent of local control, and especially in situations like this. Even the Supreme Court has come forward and said that uh, the definition of obscenity and what's appropriate really has to be decided locally. Communities are very different, and communities need to have these discussions on what's appropriate for the children uh, in their community. The CEO of PEN America, which describes itself as a free expression group, um, says that there's a censorship movement that's turning schools into political battlegrounds, even if that isn't the intent, is that potentially disruptive or harmful to the students? What would you say to people who, who think that, that this is really you know, an effort to make a political issue at the school level? I think there's so much misinformation out there. Uh, I just ran into somebody locally in my community earlier today that asked the question, uh, is your organization trying to ban of mice and men? And I said, what are you talking about? Like, that is an untrue statement. I haven't seen any of my chapters bring that book forward with any concerns. And so people that say we're in this state of um, extreme censorship and are, are really concerned about the First Amendment um, at least when it comes to our organization, they should not be concerned. The only books we are concerned about is material that should not be in front of children, uh, period, and not in a public education environment. It has no value. There, you know, two thirds of America's fourth graders are not reading on grade level. And you know, we need to be talking about that. Why, why are we not teaching kids to read? And why are we so concerned about pulling things like, um, like gender queer that, that doesn't even have a, a storyline per se? It's, it's more uh, graphic pictures, graphic drawings uh, of sexual acts. Why, why are we concerned about that when children can't even read? Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. Is there common ground to be found here? Um, you know, something like making books available but requiring adult permission or adult notification? 
Yeah, there's absolutely common ground. You know, I just spoke to what we did here in Brevard. I think every community has to decide. There can be opt-in options. There can be opt-out options. Um, there is, I think, if, if people want to find a solution and if school districts will listen to parents that have concerns, I think there are solutions to these problems for sure. Are you hearing from school districts or about school districts that are finding solutions through this process? Are you optimistic about where this is heading? I am, especially as uh, more school board elections start happening. We know we're working very hard around the country. Here in Florida, just last month, uh, our chapters endorsed 65 candidates that supported parental rights and 43 of them got elected. And so as we have people sitting on school boards that are willing to listen to all parents instead of the stronghold of the teachers union that only have one ideology, uh, I think that you're going to find more districts listening to parents and coming up with solutions that um, that protect all parents' rights to raise their children how they see fit. Tina Deskovich, co-founder of Moms for Liberty, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me on. Now for the other side of the book banning debate, here's Deborah Caldwell-Stone, director of the American Library Association's Office for Intellectual Freedom on the Fox News Rundown Extra. Um, I wanted to ask you first... Has there always been some book banning in the United States despite freedom of speech? Well, absolutely. Um, We can go back to the Comstock era where the post office prevented the importation of books like Ulysses and Lady Chatterley's Lover. But I think these days we've kind of reached a consensus that adult books written for adult readers, you know, adult literature, um, is not really a subject for government regulation. Where we're seeing the debate uh, frequently, always really, uh, is around what books are available for young people. And it's been that way for a number of decades. Uh, So in the 90s, we would see challenges to books that uh, individuals objected to because they believed they contained information about secular humanism. Um, Harry Potter was a frequent target for book challenges and book censorship uh, in the 2000s. Um, People thought that it might teach young people to adopt witchcraft as opposed to Christianity or uh, would teach young people to defy adult authority. We've always had challenges to coming-of-age novels meant for young adult readers, you know, things like John Green novels, Judy Bloom works. Um, But more frequently these days, what we're seeing are efforts, uh, demands to remove books that deal with gender identity, sexual orientation, um, or that reflect the lives and experiences of Black persons or persons of color. And what's different about these efforts today compared to past efforts? Is it less about individual complaints from parents, for instance, and, you know, feels more like an organized effort? Well, what we are observing is a number of organized advocacy groups um, really taking lists of books to school boards and library boards and demanding their removal. Um, And that is a new phenomenon. And it's fed into uh, an incredible number, an increase in the number of book censorship attempts that we're seeing in schools and libraries in the United States. Um, I have done this work for two decades now, and I have never witnessed the volume uh, 
uh, the number of challenges that are being reported by library workers and educators to our office on a daily basis. Uh, we might hear from two or three uh, professionals saying that they've gotten a request to reconsider a book in their collection uh, or in the curriculum uh, a week um, a few years ago. But now we're getting four, five, sometimes 10 reports a day reporting on demands to censor books and often on topics that reflect the lives um, and experiences of groups that are traditionally marginalized in our community. Um, gay, queer, transgender people, uh, persons of color. Um, and uh, it feels very targeted. I don't want to discount individual parents. We still see challenges where an individual parent raises a concern about a book um, that their young person is reading. Uh, and that's entirely appropriate. And in fact, we're, we, we create methods for parents who have concerns about books to take those concerns to the library professional, to the educator, uh, and to have their concerns addressed and, uh, and, and in, order, in a fashion that respects uh, everyone's right to read um, and allows everyone to be heard. Uh, but you know, uh, what we're seeing now is individuals showing up, uh, members of groups showing up with these lists of bad books, you know, 25, 50 books at a time. Um, not that one person raising a concern about what their child is reading, but targeting whole categories of books based on um, uh, their disagreement with the viewpoint or position taken by the works or the fact that they represent the lives of folks they don't think should have a place on the shelf of the library. So it's it sounds like it really goes beyond um, any debate about whether, you know, parents might have a legitimate concern about certain topics like sexuality, maybe feeling they should have more control over that type of narrative in their children's lives. Kind of goes beyond that into, you know, a broader range of things being Ab brought into yeah. these bands. Absolutely. I mean, as I said, we have no problem at all. Uh, a parent should have the ability to guide their child's reading. Uh, they should have the ability to discuss with library workers, with educators, what their values and choices are, and ask that their young person be provided materials in line with those values and choices. But what we say is that you know, there's all kinds of families, there's all kinds of parents, there are all kinds of individuals in the community, and that as a public community institution, both public school libraries and public libraries should serve the needs of everyone in the community, which means that certainly there will always be books on the shelf that you might not agree with as a parent, as an individual, but they're there for someone else. They serve the information needs of someone else and they deserve a place on the shelf. It's all voluntary reading. No one's compelled to read what's on the shelf of a library, whether it's in a school or a public setting. Um, and we simply say that, uh, you know, as a community resource, the library should be empowered to serve everyone's information needs in a fair and even-handed fashion, that everyone should have the choice of what to read, the ability to make up their own mind, to make their own decisions, 
based on uh, a wide variety of information that they find in their libraries. What we're finding, however, is that many of the organizations that are going to board meetings to demand the removal of books are arguing for a narrowing of reading opportunities, a narrowing of education, uh, the inability to consider a variety of viewpoints from a variety of perspectives. You know, there, no one ever asks anyone to accept everything you read, but we believe in the ability to read it and make up one's own mind about it. We think that's foundational to our democratic society, foundational uh, expression of our rights under the First Amendment, uh, something that library workers and educators across the country fiercely defend, that freedom to read that we should hold so um, close uh, and protect so fiercely because we're one of the few societies that um, offer that to their residents uh, across the board. And we, we should protect it with everything we have. Do you think there should be different standards between, you know, what books might be banned in school libraries versus public libraries? Uh, I believe that we do have to um, recognize that school libraries don't have the same resources as public libraries, nor as broad a mission. But I do believe that school libraries should be able to serve uh, the information needs of the students they're serving. And particularly in high school libraries, um, there's often a need to address topics not addressed in the classroom or offer resources on topics not addressed in the classroom that impact the lives of what are essentially young adults uh, who are on the cusp of adulthood, who have questions and who have concerns uh, that often we know they often don't want to share with the adults in their lives, but they desperately need accurate information. They desperately need information about those concerns and school libraries should be able to meet those information needs. Again, it's not required reading, it's voluntary reading. Um, when a library has resources that address a topic that might be controversial for some parents, um, but it's there to serve the needs of that particular student. And we often hear that particularly books dealing with gender identity, sexual orientation, can be life-saving for students who are grappling with those issues, who are feel, feeling bullied or excluded, um, who are having educational difficulties. Finding books that reflect their lives and experiences on the shelf can improve literacy, improve educational outcomes, and uh, really lead to a far better result for them in the long run. And the students themselves are telling us that. So banning broad categories of books based on a particular parent or group's moral or political objections to that topic um, is not serving the needs of everyone in the community and the public school library in particular should be able to do that. I know it's banned book week. <laughs> uh, what's the purpose of it? And, and is it different than in, in previous years? Well, Ben Books Week has been on the calendar um, uh, since 1982, when a group of publishers, uh, librarians, educators, and writers noted that there was an effort as today to remove many books from school and public libraries across the country, particularly books that were there for young people to read. Um, and so the whole purpose of Ben Books Week is to really celebrate our freedom to read, but also highlight the fact that in our 
constitutional democracy that promises the freedom to read, the freedom to choose, um, to consider any idea um, that supports the right of anyone to publish their ideas and share them with the public, that we still have censorship and censorship accomplished by government entities that are covered by the First Amendment, which includes public schools and public libraries. Um, and so we talk about it. We want to talk about the fact that there's still censorship going on, um, the reasons for that censorship, and and to, you know, as I said earlier, to carefully uh, rem- uh, consider and celebrate the fact that we have those choices available to us uh, and that those choices have been extended to everyone, regardless of their age or status in society. Deborah, do you think that there can be common ground here? Um, you know, the books can be made available, but maybe require adult permission or, or notification when there's an issue with certain books in schools? I believe that uh, there should be mechanisms in place for a parent to communicate with a librarian or an educator about their choices and to have that respected. Um, certainly, I can't think of a single school district these days that don't doesn't have a policy in place that allows a parent to ask for substitute materials in the classroom or ask that their student not be lent books that they disapprove of. And again, as I said, we support that. Um, the problem is, is that um, applying broad restrictions um, can really be uh, an issue, especially for older readers. Um, again, those young adults who may find that um, that they want to explore ideas that they don't always you know, share the same opinion with their parents. But here they are, 16, 17, 18, some of them eligible to vote, some of them eligible to enter the military. We should be thoughtful about uh, what mechanisms we use to restrict their access. What we do for very young children uh, needs to be thoughtfully considered for the young adult who is a par- preparing for adulthood and has the ability to exercise those choices. Um, we know from no less of authority than Justice Scalia uh, that young people have First Amendment rights uh, and that they should be able to exercise them and exercise choices around them. And and so, you know, it's uh, it's a thread we navigate. It's a needle that we have to thread carefully. But I think we need ultimately to respect young people's choices in reading, when, especially when they're young adults, um, and think carefully about the mechanisms that we there uh, are there, we put in, uh, that might be there as a barrier. Uh, but of course, as always, you know, uh, parents should be able to be, talk to the librarian or the educator and, and have their wishes respected. Deborah Caldwell-Stone with the American Library Association. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Lisa. It's been great to talk. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.